Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. This series is critical for us as we all continue to grow in what it means for us to be more and more like Christ. We want to be able to hear his voice. And we, we all know this. The, the people that you love, you, you know their voice. Like the people that you're really close to, like even on Mother's Day, it's a reminder to us that many of us, we know our mother's different voices. We know her angry voice. We know her sweet voice. We know her kind voice. We know her caring voice, her comforting voice. We, we know all the different ways in which our mother can communicate or has communicated with us before. And, and maybe you didn't have necessarily a mother in your life, but you had somebody else was raising you, your aunt or somebody, and the person who was close to you, who was with you, you can recognize their voice. We can recognize the voice of our loved ones. We can recognize the voice. Have you ever been in a circumstance before where you hear someone's voice from a distance and you're like, I think I know that voice. I think I know who that is because the people that we love, we start to know their voice so well that even from a distance, we can begin, oh, that's them. I, I can tell that it's them. I've heard it so often. I've been around, maybe it's not someone you love. Maybe it's someone you've just been around too often. I don't know. But you can discern, I know who that is. I know that voice. And it's not even just with the people that we're close with. We have little indicators of things that can tell us where somebody is from just by their accent or how they communicate. When I first moved up here from Virginia, one of the things I used to say all the time, and somebody corrected me on this, I was speaking publicly a lot, and I used to always say, this needs washed, or this needs taken care of. And this gentleman came up to me one day and he said, Scott, I think you're leaving out the words to be. I'm like, what? He's like, like, this needs to be washed or this needs to be taken care of. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think you know what you're talking about, man. I, I, this is actually just a much more efficient way of communicating and talking. I'm leaving those two words out, which means that I can, you know, get two words elsewhere. You know, I, I don't need those. And, and then many people started correcting me. I, at first, I thought he was crazy. But many people started correcting you know what? I must be doing something wrong here. And he was correct. I, I was not communicating in a way that was grammatically correct. It was not. But now whenever I go back home and I interact with people in Virginia, it's kind of how people talk. It's, it's, it, it's, it, so it just seems normal. Uh, growing up, my grandmother, she was from Southern Pennsylvania, and she used to add the letter R to words that didn't need to have the letter R in them. Instead of wash, she'd say wash. And instead of toilet, she'd say toilet. The, the there's not an R in toilet, you know? Uh, but you can kind of tell, oh, that person is from this part of the, based off of the way that they communicate. And many of you Western New Yorkers, some of you get really defensive. You think you don't have an accent, but you do. You do have an accent. It's a little bit nasally. You hit your A's in a weird way. It, it, you can tell when somebody is from Western New York once you've been here, oh, that's the Buffalo sound. In fact, when I first moved up here, I tried getting rid of my Southern accent to the best of my abilities because I didn't want people to be thinking, that guy's not from around here. But I, I, I did what I could, and obviously it still comes through sometimes, but I can tell Oh, that person's from Western New York because of how they talk and communicate. And it, what else is interesting with that is it's not just accents. There are certain maybe f words that, or if you put two words together, it could mean something very different to someone in Buffalo than if you were to say these two words to someone in, let's say, Utah or New Mexico. If I walked up to somebody in another state and I said to them, wide right, it wouldn't mean much to them. 
They would think that I'm a little crazy, but if I were to say that to somebody from Western New York, those are two words that have shaped a city for the past 30 years. Those are two words that somebody said wide right at a meeting I was at a couple weeks ago, and this one guy spoke up and said, too soon, man, too soon. Like it, These are words that still cut to the heart of people in this community. But you guys also make up phrases and words as well. It wasn't just me saying this needs, there are things that you say here. And I'm like, I've never heard that before until I came to Western New York. For example, the word use, not U-S-E, but Y-O-U-S, as in use, guys. I had never heard that before until I came to Western New York. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying there's, a, there's this way, yeah, I, use guys. I thought it was you guys, not use guys. But we all have things that kind of show, oh, I'm from this part of the country or this part of the world. And, and it, it, it lets us know, but just by our voice and communication, we can begin to learn things about other people. And what I want us to discover today is just as there are characteristics in our human communication, there's characteristics of the voice of Jesus. That there's a way in which Jesus communicates. And as we begin to see that and acknowledge that in the life and ministry of Jesus that we see in the New Testament, we can begin to discern and feel, oh, this is Jesus speaking into my life, or this is Jesus speaking into our lives. I don't want to give us a formula of if you follow these three steps, then you will hear from Jesus every single time. Because I don't really think he gives us that formula. And we're all different. We're all created in the image of God, but there's something different with every one of us. So I don't necessarily think that there's this formula that if we could just all did the formula, we'd all hear from him. Because if we did that, people would like start selling it and exploiting it. We're all different. We all hear from him differently, but there is a certain character to the voice of Jesus. There's an essence to his voice. So there may not be a three-step thing, but we can, just as we can identify accents and things in other people to see where they're from, there's, there's a certain cadence and characteristic to the voice of Jesus. And what we're going to do today is we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus has this interaction with Simon, his fisherman, who we know as Peter. And we're going to walk through this and we're going to see some of the characteristics of the voice of Jesus so that we can begin to discern when we feel him speaking to our lives, is this him? Is this him who's pushing me in this? Is this him who is communicating this to me? And each of, these, each of these characteristics, they end up beginning with the letter C. That's just coincidental. But if you want to say, you know, the four C's of the voice of Jesus, you know, kind of like those, you know, I'm going to give you the four R's of resurrection today, revival, renewal. Okay, yeah, you know that whole like Southern pastor thing. If you want the four C's of the voice of Jesus, where they all begin with the letter C. So it'll help you organize your thoughts a little bit. But the first thing that we see in the voice of Jesus, and this one's going to sound a little bit strange to us at first, but just hang in with me because it's actually really beautiful, is that the voice of Jesus will condescend. The voice of Jesus will condescend. Now, this sounds weird at first because when we think of the word condescend, we think of it in negative terms. I hate when he talks to me. He's always so condescending. Or whenever she communicates to me, it's so condescending. She always makes me feel worse about myself. We typically use the word condescend in negative terms. But this is actually a beautiful thing when we consider who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Paul lays out how he was, did not consider equality God was something to be grasped, and he condescended to meet us in our human space, to meet us in our understanding. So another way of saying this would be that when Jesus communicates, he will accommodate to our understanding. He will condescend to where we are at. Some people say it this way, Jesus will meet you where you are at. 
Wherever you find yourself in life, Jesus will meet you where you are at. There is no space that he is unwilling to go to. And he will meet you where you are at. He will condescend to the space that you are in. And this is what we begin to see in Luke chapter five. Look at verses one through three. Now, Jesus was standing by the lake and the crowd was passing around, uh, was, was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen, that got, the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now he knew Simon at this point, but not really well, but he said, I'm just gonna get in this boat. I'm just gonna go take this boat and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. This is, this is so remarkable that Jesus, who only had three years of ministry on this earth, if I was Jesus and I had three years, I would be on the move all the time. I, I got something to do. I have somewhere to be. But Jesus, who has three years, he takes the time to sit in this moment to sit with these people, to sit down on their level and communicate with them within their understanding. We see this Jesus do this time and time again. He will stop for certain people who nobody else would stop for. He will sit and communicate with people who nobody else would communicate with. Jesus will constantly meet people right where they are at. He doesn't say, I'm busy. I got things to do. I can't do this right now. No, Jesus will sit in that space. He will condescend and accommodate and meet people right where they're at, just like he did in this story. He didn't look at this group and say, oh, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll just, you know what? I'll float into heaven and say, I'm the son of God, worship me. Because Jesus wasn't interested in creating some religious construct and structure where we could never possibly know him. Jesus desires to know you. And so he will condescend and accommodate to the space that you find yourself in wherever you are. And the same Jesus who did this 2,000 years ago for these fishermen and this group of people who's gathered around him, he wants to sit down with you in whatever space you are in, wherever you find yourself in life, and he desires to speak to you. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, would go on to write this in James chapter three. He said, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. You want a little, uh, a little test, something that's helpful, a little cheat sheet. If you want to know, hey, is this Jesus who's speaking into my life? Ask yourself this, is what I'm feeling right now, is it pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it, is it accommodating? Is it full of mercy? Does it, what kind of fruit would this produce if I were to follow this? Is it not hypocritical? If you want to know if this is Jesus speaking into my life, look at James 3.17 and say, what kind of fruit would this produce if I were to follow through with this action? Jesus desires to draw close and he will meet us where we are at. He will meet you wherever you are at. But we've, we've become a little bit obsessed with this concept. Oh, Jesus, he'll meet you where you're at. He'll meet you where you're at. And it's true. It's beautiful. But once he's met you where you are at, so many people, oh, he'll meet me where I'm at. And, you know, he'll give me this and he'll give me this and he'll give me this. And we almost just like, Jesus, just keep giving me stuff. Keep giving me stuff. Keep giving me more. Keep giving me more. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Once Jesus has met you where you're at, he then invites you to follow him. 
Once Jesus has met you where you were at, he doesn't want to just stay there with you. He does eventually begin to move. And in this story, we'll see some movement as well. But he starts to, he wants to bring you into a new kind of life. He will meet you where you are at and you will feel his love and mercy and grace. But then from that, he starts to bring you into a new space. And that's the second characteristic of the voice of Jesus that we see in this passage is that the voice of Jesus will challenge you. The voice of Jesus will challenge you. This is kind of an upfront statement, but I, I, I think this is appropriate, that if G, the voice of Jesus in your life is not challenging you in some way, then he may not be a Jesus who is worth following. If, if the Son of God, who has all knowledge, who's the resurrected King, is not challenging you in some way, you, you might want to go follow something else. But I, I believe that the voice of Jesus will challenge you. The voice of Jesus will begin to challenge you to hear things you never thought you could hear, to see things that you never thought you could see, to become someone that you never thought that you could become, to become someone that within your own strength you never could become, but within his strength, he will challenge you to become someone brand new in him. The voice of Jesus will meet you where you're at. He will condescend, but then he will begin to challenge you to see things in a new and different way and to become somebody new, to become somebody different, to let go of the past and move forward into the new life that he's invited you into. And he starts to do that in this story. Look at this in Luke 5, verses 4 through 6. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. Simon, he's so funny in this moment. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, you got to understand something because Jesus was a carpenter. Simon was a fisherman. He did this for a living. Hey man, we've been out here all day. Jesus, I don't really think you know. I mean, we'll throw the nets if you want us to, but we have been out. How many of us have done this before? Jesus has started speaking something into our lives and it's leading us to an unknown place or it's leading us to a spot that we would start to quit. And we're just like, you know what? I'm not going to throw the net right now, Jesus, because I know better. Jesus, I've been around this block before. I know this. This is my expertise. This is my field. I'm not going to do that. But then the, car, the, the fisherman listens to the carpenter and he brings in so many fish that the net begins to tear. When the voice of Jesus starts to speak into your life and challenge you, sometimes we, we just say, oh, when he challenges us, he'll lead us into something difficult. And he will sometimes. That's, that's, that's a way in which he will challenge us. But there are other times that he will challenge us by doing something miraculous and we have to choose, are we going to respond to that? Just as he did in this passage, the way he challenged Peter was by revealing to him and showing him something that he never thought he could see. Oh, there's no fish out there right now. And then he sees something. I wonder how many of us, Jesus has been speaking so clearly into your life by just the little things. He's been moving in people's lives all around you. He's been moving in the world around you, but you've become so numb to it that you just kind of closed off. Oh, no, no, that couldn't be him or that doesn't make sense or that's out of the ordinary. But, we, uh, but Jesus is speaking. We've actually just been closing it off. We'll talk more about that next week. But the voice of Jesus will challenge you to see things that you've never seen before. I want to develop a little bit of a sub point with this point. Because sometimes people will start saying things like, Jesus challenged me to do fill in the blank. And it sounds a little crazy. And there's always like this 50-50 shot. When somebody comes to you and says, Jesus told me to do this. It's always like, okay, that's either like really amazing faith 
and he's leading them into something unreal. Or, and it could be that, where then the other chance is like, uh, this person might need a little bit of accountability in their life and um, they might not be discerning the voice of Jesus right now. I was at 50-50 shots. So I want to give us a little bit of an accountability structure of how we can discern the, the characteristic of the voice of Jesus. Because as far as I can tell, there are three primary avenues that Jesus uses to speak to us. Now, these all can look differently. I don't want to, you know, box that in too much. These all have different nuances in which Jesus uses these things, but there are three different avenues that he uses, and they all have particulars under them or nuance under them of how he does this. But the, the first way that I would say, and it's not, I'm not saying it's first in the sense of it's the most important or the best. I'm just, it's just going in this list. So the, the first avenue that he will use is his word. He uses his word to speak to us. Hebrews chapter four says this, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. The word of God is living and active. The scriptures are alive and active and Jesus is still speaking through them today to us. He can speak to you through his word, through your time reading it. He can speak to you through his word. Maybe you're singing a worship song and there's scripture within that song and he speaks to you through that. I don't want to try to say this is the only way he speaks through his word, but he speaks to us through his word. That's one of the avenues that he will use. The, another avenue that he will use to speak to us is through his Holy Spirit. As we talked about in our series on the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but will speak whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. He can speak to us by his spirit through dreams or visions, or just through that feeling inside of you of the spirit living within you and leading you into something. That's not just the Jiminy Cricket conscience feeling. That is the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you and speaking to you. He can speak to us through his Holy Spirit. And he can also speak to us through other believers, through other people. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And even more so because you see the day drawing near, we can encourage one another. We can speak life to one another. James talks about this in James chapter five as well, to confess our sin to one another, to speak into one another's life. He can speak to us through his people. And it's good for us to know these markers and avenues and how he does this because sometimes he'll be speaking to us in one of them and we're wondering, I think this is him. Did you know that our God is not a God of confusion and he will actually begin to affirm what he's saying to you through other avenues? Uh, you know, and we have to be careful because all of us have probably based off of your personality, a, a proclivity to lean into one of them more than the other. You know, for me, I lean into like, I really love studying the scriptures and hearing from him in, in, in the scriptures. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't exercise my muscle of listening to him through his Holy Spirit because his spirit is alive within the scriptures as well. So he's speaking through that. And it also doesn't mean that I shouldn't exercise the muscle of being around other believers and hearing from them as well. Just because you, you lean into one more doesn't mean that you shouldn't also pursue his voice in the others. And there's, I would say that there's a danger that if you find yourself isolated in just one of them. So for example, I know people who know the word of God so well, 
They know it really well. They know it far better than me. I'm thinking, man, I went to school for this. I got a bachelor's degree, master's degree. You know it way better than me. Wow, good for you. But sometimes when, when, when people get really extreme just in this camp, in this, they become really good at letting other people know what God's word says for them, but not for themselves. When somebody else confronts them about, hey, I think God's word is saying this right now to you, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. They're really good at like letting other people know, but they're not always the best ever. They, they don't, they'll listen to God's word, but they don't really listen to God through his people. We have to be careful and make sure that we're not closing off the other two. The other thing that I've noticed that can be a little bit dangerous with if you're only ever listening to God and his word, people start to do things and they'll start to take things out of context all the time. All the time. Because I gotta get a verse, I gotta get a verse, I gotta get a verse. Let's say, for example, you're, you're saying to yourself, you know what? I think God is leading me to go live in a big city. I'm gonna go to Los Angeles or I'm gonna go to New York, one of the two. But I'm thinking Los Angeles because I like warm weather. So I'm, you know what? I'm just, I don't know, but he's leading me. I'm just gonna read the scriptures and he's gonna give me a verse. You start reading and let's say you open Ezekiel and you read this in Ezekiel 45. And during the seven days of the feast, he will provide as a burnt offering to the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams. Oh, there it is, rams, the Los Angeles rams. He must be telling me to move to Los Angeles. Now that's, that's a silly example. But, it's an, but if we only ever do this in isolation, oh, I just listened to him in his word. We've seen throughout history the dangers of just interpreting his word in isolation and not listening to others. We have to ensure that we're listening to the other ones as well. And then also just a, when the author of Hebrews writes about the word in Hebrews chapter four, he's most likely referencing Jesus who was and is the word of God, the very logos of God. So you could always ask yourself this. If you feel Jesus is saying something to you and you're like, I'm not percent sure, ask yourself this does this line up with the nature and character of Jesus? And if it does, you know you can move forward in it because he wants us to become more like him. Now, there are some people I know too, if you get a little bit too extreme and only ever talking about, oh, oh, it's only ever the spirit, you don't talk about listening to his word and listening to other people. What I've noticed is in, in this extreme, if you find yourself saying this a lot when other people try to speak into your life or what the word of God is saying into you and you're only ever, oh, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, if that's all you ever listen to and that's all you ever lean into, if you always find yourself there, if you find yourself saying this all the time when other people try to speak into your life, if you find yourself saying this statement, you, you might be a little too extreme. And I'm not saying if you say this every once in a while, I'm saying if you say this like all the time, Whenever somebody confronts you or brings something to you, if you are always saying, oh, you know, don't put God in a box. If that's always your response, my response to you would be this. When other people are trying to speak into your life, they're not necessarily putting God in a box, but maybe you're the one putting God in a box because what you're saying is I'm the only one who can hear from him. I got this connection with the spirit. I'm the only one, you know, you don't, no, I'm not listening to that. I'm not saying, but we have to have some balance here. He speaks to us through his word we, only, we shouldn't function in isolation, just me and the Spirit. No, he speaks to us through other people and he speaks to us in his word as well. And then thirdly, if we get too extreme of God speaks to me through other people, I hear this one too. People all the time are telling me what other people said to them. Uh, you know, oh, you know, Mike Todd, he said this. And, you know, Stephen Furtick, he said that. And Craig Groeschel said this. And Charles Stanley said this. And Beth Moore said this. Great, wonderful, godly people. I'm glad that God's speaking through them to you. 
But when was the last time God said something to you? When was the last time you just had an alone moment with God and you turned off all of the sound and said, God, speak to me? Because it's great to have God speak to us through other people, but he desires for you to personally know him as well. And then bring that voice to others. I don't want us to get to a spot where we're isolated in any one of these three. And I think sometimes if, you're, if you really lean into his word or his spirit or his people and, and one of, you feel like one of them's telling you something, you get almost nervous that if I were to you know, take a step of faith and see what he's saying to me in one of these other groups, what if he's not saying the same thing? Maybe he's then doing a course correction. Or what you'll oftentimes find is that God's voice, he will affirm himself and he'll actually give you greater clarity to move forward in faith because he is not a God of confusion. He will begin to, if he's saying something to you, his word, he'll begin to affirm that by his spirit and by his people. If he's saying something to you by his spirit, he'll begin to affirm that in his word and with other people who are believers. And if he's saying to you something through other believers, he will begin to affirm that by his spirit and by his word. He is not a God of confusion. He will use all of those to give us greater clarity to move forward in faith. So as the voice of Jesus is challenging you and moving you into the new life that he has in store for you, don't be afraid to say, you know what? I'm gonna trust in faith that God can speak to me in all of these ways. I'm gonna trust by faith that he can speak to me through all of these avenues. I'm not just gonna hold off to one because that's the one I like or feel most comfortable with. I'm going to exercise my spiritual muscles in all of these areas so that I can hear clearly from him. And he will show up and he will speak every single time. The voice of Jesus will meet us where we're at, but then he'll challenge us and lead us into a new life. And then thirdly, the voice. Oh, wait, I almost forgot this. This is a really good example. Acts 15, 28 at the Jerusalem council. We see this. For it seemed best to the Holy Spirit and to us when they're making a critical decision about the church and moving forward, the early church said, hey, you know what? We checked this with the Holy Spirit and we checked it amongst ourselves. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. He desires unity. He will bring us together so that we can move forward together as he's challenging us. And thirdly, the voice of Jesus will build your confidence. He doesn't come to bring in arrogance or pride but he also doesn't speak into our life to just cut us down all the time. I know I talk about this a lot, but this is a great barrier that I see with people constantly. So many people have been given this view of Jesus that he's just waiting. He's just waiting for you to slip up. He's just waiting for you to make a mistake. Jesus said he's just waiting. He's just waiting for you to slip up. He's just waiting for you to make a mistake. He's just waiting to scold you. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, sin breaks his heart. That's why he went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to live under the destruction of sin. But he's actually looking to build you up, not tear you down. If you've heard a voice in your life that is constantly tearing you down, that's not him. That's condemnation. That's something else. Because after this miracle, look at how Simon Peter responds. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's a humble response. Who am I in the presence of Jesus? So he falls down and he says, move away from me, Lord. I'm sinful. I, I can't possibly be here. And Jesus doesn't say, you're right. Get away. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, stay down and worship me. Jesus doesn't stay, say, 
stay there. You got it right, Peter. Just keep it. He doesn't stiff arm Peter in this moment. Even though Peter is recognizing a humility who, that he's not enough without Christ. And he's, it's just, just, what does the voice of Jesus choose to do in this moment? Look at what he does in, in Luke 5.10. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. He doesn't look at Peter and say, you're right, stay there. He says to Peter, follow me into the life that I have in store for you. He gives Peter a new identity. He gives him a new role to play. You're not just going to be fishing for fish. You are now going to be fishing for people. You're going to be my disciple. He gives him a new role, a new responsibility, a new vocation, all new, brand new. He invites Peter to follow him. And that same voice of confidence that was building Peter up in that moment, that Jesus is still alive today and desires to speak into your life and give you a new role and a new identity and a new vocation and a new way of living and being human. He's inviting you forward. He's not saying, oh, stay back. You'll eventually get here. He's saying, no, follow me into the new life that I have for you. The voice of Jesus desires to build your confidence into who it is that he has created you and designed you to be. And lastly, the voice of Jesus will provoke you to change. The voice of Jesus will provoke you to change. Once you have been in his presence, once you've experienced his voice, You can't help but to change. And it's not a change that's driven by shame or guilt. It's a change that is driven by his incredible love and his hand extending to you and saying, follow me. His incredible grace and mercy that is just so overwhelming. I can't help but to change because of who Jesus is, because of what Christ has done, because of the life that he has invited me into, because of what I have just seen because of what I have just experienced. I can't help but to change because of what Christ has done. The voice of Jesus will provoke you to change. If you think the voice of Jesus just wants to come along and meet you where you are at and just say, oh, let's hang out here, that's not him. He wants to bring you into an entire new life where you let everything go and embrace a new reality of following him. That's how the story ends in Luke 5, 11. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. And say, oh, you know, you know, Jesus, here's what we're going to do. You know, we really enjoyed the teaching. We enjoyed the miracle with the fish. That was great. We have a lot to eat for for now. You know, thank you so much for that, Jesus. Here's what we need you to do, Jesus. We are going to just stay here. We're going to keep being fishermen. We're going to keep doing our thing. And this was like a good, like mini conference. So Jesus, when you come back around sometime, why don't you come give us another little Jesus conference again? But we're going to stay and do our own thing with a little bit of Jesus added on. And it's going to be good, Jesus. That's not what they do. They leave everything to follow him. They surrender everything to follow. They let go of everything to follow him. They didn't say, you know what? I'm going to keep doing my life my way and add a little bit of Jesus onto it. No, they begin to surrender to Jesus as Lord and see the new life that he has in store for them. The, The reality that only he can bring into existence in our lives. So today I want you to see that there's an invitation from Jesus for you 
to surrender, to leave it, to leave the old way of life behind, to leave the things behind that have been dragging you down, to leave the things behind that have been holding you back, to, to leave behind whether it's whether it's bitterness or addiction or pain or grief, you can leave those things behind. Whether whatever, whatever it is that you've been holding on to that's been holding you down, Jesus has met you in that space. He wants you to feel his mercy and his love in that space, and then he wants to bring you forward to leave that behind and experience the life that only he can give you. The voice of Jesus wants to move every one of us to change, to become a new creation in him. The voice of Jesus will condescend and meet you where you are at. The voice of Jesus will challenge you in ways that you never expected before. But it'll be a journey of faith. You're saying, wow. I, I could have never done this in my own strength. He will challenge you to become someone new. The voice of Jesus will then build your confidence to see that there's a role and an identity that he has in store for you. And the voice of Jesus will then all throughout your life continue to change and change and change. And he will speak this over and over again. That's why Romans chapter eight says that his spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. He will always remind us of who we are in him so that we can move forward into the new life that he has for us. So whether you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, know that he's meeting you today. Take this as a sign that he's using a fool like me to speak to you, that he's meeting you here today. And if, if you're here and you've just been kind of like going along in faith, know that he is constantly doing a new thing, that he is not done with you, that we have to have open hearts and minds to listen to his challenging voice and become more and more like him. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And as we continue to serve more, as we continue to live more, as we continue to follow him more, we'll be coming more and more like him. And then the world can see more and more of Jesus, of his kingdom come and his will being done on